What you're going to see and hear in the scripture this morning are the juxtaposition between two almost oppositional sides and ways in which you move from one side to the other. Things that we need to to be filled with. Actions we need to take in order to move from here to here. Andrew, you share this. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is adultery. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself in the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. With gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Holy wisdom, holy word. Before getting started, I want to again um, thank Carrie for preaching last Sunday in Paul's stead in the midst of a really hard loss for him and the life of his grandmother. And then I want to once again, I just owe her so much at this point. Thank Shannon for stepping in on Wednesday evening, and Laura, who did a lot to help with that, just for all that you do, my friend. I, I, you shrug, but you know what? It's, this is huge. So I just, again, I'm, I'm very humbled by these colleagues, these who share their gifts and share them so readily, particularly in times of... Uh, of crisis, I guess. Over the last number of weeks, 
part of what we've talked about is the new vision statement. And again, it's on the front, I think, of your bulletin this morning. Today, I want to look at, for the next four weeks, to look at these small, short phrases uh, that you see there. Today, I want to focus on two words, gather and serve. As you read through that mission statement, what, what this states for us is that these are things that we do as a part of being Aldersgate United Methodist Church. I like these two words, but they better, they better challenge us in very, very deep ways. As I shared before, we have come into a time now of, of almost everything in our lives being consumers. It doesn't take much for us to kind of stay alive anymore. It doesn't require a lot on our part to build our own homes or, or plow our own fields or harvest our own grains or, or do anything that requires us to take on physical effort in order to survive. Surviving stress is a whole different ballgame. That's not what I'm talking about. All we have to do is pull something out of our wallets and swipe it in that little thing and it's there. All we have to really do is sit behind our computers on any given day, figure out what it is that we want. We don't even have to have the money in our bank account. Swipe the card or type in the number, expiration date, little secret code on the back of the card. Boom! We get it. My fear, and I've seen it in all too many churches, is that church has become somewhat similar in its understanding of how we do things. I I shared with colleagues in Southern California, and I was there, my discomfort with people coming to church for the show. And there is a lot of that going on. That if I have to commit myself any deeper than coming on Sunday morning, then you know what? I'm just not going to do it. Don't ask me to serve on a committee. I hate committees. Don't ask me to kind of go out of my way to set up a room. That's not why I'm here. Don't ask me to even pray for somebody else. I don't, that stuff's just kind of weird to me. And certainly don't ask me to go deeper and do this thing called meditation. I will come. For one hour, exactly one hour, on Sunday morning or Saturday night, and if you ask me to do any more than that, I will go someplace that only requires of me that one hour. That scares me to death. Because you know what? I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Anywhere in the gospel, anywhere in what it means to be people of faith, anywhere at all, in anywhere, with anything having to do with the church. Let me take a little deeper. I think for many, we now expect to be constantly entertained by things which also require no effort on our parts. We watch, and that's it. We watch. I believe that part of kind of being part of the reason for the growth in violence on television is the same as why reality shows have gained such prominence over the last number of years. 
We become a consumer society that lives vicariously through that which we see in movies and on television. We can place ourselves into those situations readily as the hero or even as the victim. We see ourselves in the conflicts on the island or even in the weight loss of the biggest loser. Our motivation for change no longer comes from within, certainly as much as it used to. It often comes from outside of us. And that's a problem. And again, we see it here, even in churches. Churches, many, all too many, have become entertainment centers. People, as I said, come for the show. But I have to tell you something. I believe Christianity to be an action-oriented contact sport. Let me say that again. I believe Christianity is an action-oriented contact sport. It's not like the sport of football that seeks to have one side dominate the other. It is a sport or an activity that requires contact. Contact that is mutually beneficial and requires physical contact with others. But even more than that, in order to truly understand how we are to do the physical contact with others, we better understand how to do the spiritual contact within ourselves. And that contact meaning being willing to go into our own souls and gain an understanding of what our souls are, how they function, what their needs are, and how to exercise them. Do you know the obesity in the United States right now is at its highest level in history? And I'm just talking about our children. That terrifies me. But I'm not sure that we're far behind that when it comes to our spiritual lives. What pastors love about Lent is we get to be as challenging as we want during this time. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to challenge you today. As we look at the two words, gather and serve, these two words help us go deeper into this. We gather into this place not just because we feel like we have to go to church. I think for us, we gather in this place because we're here to be with those with whom we want to go on this spiritual journey together. We gather in this place because we have friends here. We have trusted individuals with whom we've already shared significant history. We gather in this place hoping to hear something that might motivate us to even become better. It's not just about writing the STP. There's 15 of us now writing the STP in July. Now, you've got to know what a comfort it was to know you haven't been on your bike for six months. I just want you to know that, Reichenbach. But, but there's, I mean, and that's part of the reason that we come here. But my hope is there's more to it than that. We gather together. In other words, we decide sometime in a previous week that on this time, on this day, we're going to be in this place together. And part of the reason that we gather here is so that we might understand and create opportunities to serve one another. But again, that's one piece. (coughs) What if the other reason that we gather here is to learn how to go deeper in our own souls. 
you need to understand, I believe that there is breadth and width, height and depth and weight to your soul. I believe that every human being on the planet has a soul. Every single one. And that there's a location in the body where it sits, and it's somewhere right in here. When a baby is born, the soul is shaped one way, and it's almost like this beautiful kind of open vessel. There's, there's not much that's, that's gone deeper yet, and, and it's this open, pliable, beautiful vessel in the midst of there. And as we grow up and we become older, whether it's through junior high or high school, the shape of the soul begins to shift and change. And it begins over time to look more and more like something like a wine glass shape or even a vase. If some terrible event happens in our lives, something happens to our souls. Somewhere at the base of the soul, an an area is created. And that event soars quickly into that location and it becomes locked in there depending on the kind of veracity of that event. And a wall is created just above that part of our souls that prevent it from coming out again and to some extent prevent us from going in there and spending a lot of time for our own protection. On Wednesday night you heard about forgiveness and I I believe as you look at the depth of a soul, and I, I'm one who believes that there are about seven different levels of the soul, including that dark, deep one down in the depths. What's interesting about forgiveness, and believe me, I'll get back to gather and serve in just a second, what is interesting about forgiveness is depending on where the forgiveness falls, it can be in anywhere in the soul. If I bump into Dirk in the hallway this morning and didn't do that intentionally and I heard him go, I will say, Dirk, I'm really sorry for bumping into you. I obviously was on a different planet and not paying attention. Very, very surfacy in the part of my soul. If Dirk walks by and you hear me saying something negative about him and suddenly I'm aware that he's heard that I've said something negative about him, which I will not do, but if that happens, what happens? What happens in his soul at that moment? What happens in mine in that moment? If I go deeper and somehow hurt him deeply in something that I've said or done, what does that do in his soul? But what does that do in mine? If I go home and do something completely inappropriate that goes against everything that I believe as a man of faith or even as a pastor, What does that do in my soul? There are three things that we need to come to terms with in each of our lives, and it's why forgiveness is such a volatile issue for so many of us. At every one of the levels in the soul, there are those locations where forgiveness comes into play. There are. So I want to ask you three questions. Because as you gather in this place, part of the purpose of gathering in this place is to allow, I hope, me, the choir, others who are in worship leadership here, Angie, Alan, to help us go deeper and explore those things that exist in our souls. That's part of the gathering 
That's part of us. Part of us. Serving. And it is potentially part of you serving each other. So the three questions I want to ask you. Are there people in your lives right now that you need to forgive? You gather in this place. And what kind of disservice are you doing in your own soul by not forgiving them? What kind of damage is being caused there? Who needs to forgive you right now? Are there places where that needs to happen? And maybe the deepest is I go one step deeper into the depths of our souls. Are you ready? Where do you need to forgive yourself? What are those pieces in you that you continue to carry where you absolutely need and God needs you to forgive yourself? There is not one person other than maybe Isaac Not one person in this sanctuary that isn't holding something in which they need to forgive themselves. We spent about 12 minutes at first service in quiet going through a process to help folks release those things. I'm not going to do that this service. It's not why you're here. But I want to instruct you on the importance of this. When we hold on to those things and we wrap ourselves in them like a warm blanket, because what has happened is those people in whom we need to forgive them or folks who need to forgive us or in those times where we need to forgive ourselves, if we allow those things to just dwell in our souls, at whatever level that may be, What happens, and it's kind of a miracle the way this happens, is those become normal for us. Those are a part of who we are now. And to let go of those feels uncomfortable, as unhealthy as that may be. Lent is a time to gather. Lent is a time to serve even if it means serving the health of our own souls. Lent is a time, as Carrie said last week, to set something aside, but not just for the purpose of Lent, to set something aside so that you can fill that void with something that will take you deeper in your faith. I want to challenge you to do that. Here's how. To make a decision, if you have not already, to set some time aside, whether that's not watching The Biggest Loser tomorrow night or something else, not spending that half an hour on the Internet doing whatever you're doing to study whatever this topic is, putting your cell phone or your smartphone aside for half an hour and turning it off. And allow God, as you sit quietly in a comfortable chair, 
asking to feel God's presence and visualizing that beautiful wine-shaped soul right here in your heart. Feel God's presence in that place. Feel it filled with warmth and light. Take on doing that, like lighting that lighter. And then ask God one question. Where do I need to forgive myself? And God, help me let go of that. then here's the key. Let it go. And allow that space to be filled with the warmth and light of God, that power which is incredible and overwhelming if we allow that presence to live in ourselves. And then as you sit quietly there, thank God for that time and even that one thing that was now gone. Take on that action, friends. Here's the key. Because we're consumer-driven, we believe it just should magically happen. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't magically happen any more than that candle gets magically lit just because I think about it. It happens out of action that we take. And I'm asking you, as your pastor, to take on these actions every day. And then the next day, look at one other thing that you may need some help with. Or how about the next day, think of one person who needs prayer support that you know right now. And spend that time just focusing on them. And the next day, pray for something else. Let me close with this thought. The other thing I'm asking of you is to do some self-examination as a church about whether or not we have become consumer-driven as a church. What I would love to see is when an event like Wednesday night happens, that some folks arrive 10 to 15 minutes early And don't expect Paul and Brad to set up all the tables. That maybe it shouldn't be just up to the two of us. Or maybe, as I said to first service, and I'm going to say this to you, that what you do is come to worship about 20 minutes early to help first service tear down all the band equipment and get it set for second service. Those are really simple things. They really are. You know, if you want me to set up the rooms, I will. I don't think you want that. But I don't think you knew that that's part of what happens pretty much every week. And until I tell you, how are any other actions going to be taken? So I'm telling you. But I'm not going to stop there. When you come to church, I want to ask you to arrive two or three or four minutes early. Say hi to your friends and then come in here and sit somewhere, wherever you're going to sit for worship. And dedicate two or three minutes 
in prayer for everyone who is seeking to lead or serve in worship. Every single person. From our very nervous new acolytes to our confirmands who read on Sunday mornings to Alan, to the choir, to Angie, to me, to our liturgists, to Dirk or Carrie or Paul or Shannon or Laura or anyone else. I asked First Service to covenant every Sunday from here on to pray for you. Second Service. Every one of you. I'm now asking you, Second Service, to spend a little time every week to pray for them. These are your sisters and brothers who just choose to worship a little differently than you do. We need to engage in a much deeper level with each other and particularly in prayer. Here's what's going to happen. Miracles. You do this, you do this. Whether it's the menial things or the deeper spiritual things. You do this, and things are going to change here. And I mean in really incredibly wonderful, good ways. But it requires actions on our parts to take these things on. And if you want to go deeper, find those who are homebound and pray for them. Find others who may be sick, and it's not hard to get the prayer list and spend time every day to pray for them. Pray for our community. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for our political leaders. Pray for the world and those places of stress. Pray. Pray. Because every time you pray, you're exercising your soul every single time. And your soul, as it's exercised, becomes more beautiful and more healthy. Take the action. Pray. Amen.